Now in this life, you and I are no strangers to anxiety. All of us here have different things that make us anxious, be it work or family or home, or it, it can be any number of things. And we all suffer with anxiety to varying degrees. I think you would all safely agree with that. But this morning, I don't want to talk about the different causes of anxiety or the different things that could make you anxious. Instead, I want to talk about and get to the very heart of how you and I, as God's people living in this world, actually deal with anxiety. So how do you deal with it? How do you deal with anxiety that comes from the problems that arise or the diagnosis that comes or the, the marriage that seems to be falling apart? How do you deal with anxiety like that? Anxiety that can be both big and small. Do you follow Peter's plan for anxiety relief or do you follow your own handmade, homemade plan that is often born out of pride and conceit? There's a huge distinction between the two. Listen to what Peter's plan for anxiety relief says. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem like a whole lot of a, or very much of a comforting thing anyway. It seems like just one more thing to do on your already chalked full to-do list that causes you to be anxious. But really, this is a, a very beautiful thing, humbling yourself under God's hand. Because really, it's, it's Peter's way of saying, by humbling yourself under God's hand, you are placing your whole life, every single aspect of it, in the hands of your, of your God and his providential care. It's another way of Peter saying, I want you to take your life, and I want you to think less of yourself, and I want you to put it all to God, every single aspect of it. And to God's mighty hand, Peter adds this very, very great adjective. He says God's hand is powerful. When Peter says that, he's describing the kind of care that your God is going to give you. That this is not just some care that a human can give you. God's care for you is powerful. And in using that adjective, he is, he is asking you to recall all of the times that God's mighty hand has both saved and cared for his people. Like how God's mighty hand saved Noah from the flood, or how God's mighty hand saved the Israelites from the Egyptians, or how God's mighty hand provided manna and quail for the Israelites in the desert, or how God's mighty hand had, had saved the faithful remnant who were living in Babylon as exiles and allowed them to return home. Peter is describing the kind of care that your God gives you, and he's asking you to take your life and to put it into his hands, to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And this happens when we take our anxieties and we cast them all on God. And we give them to God because we know that he cares for us. No anxiety or being anxious, it's, I don't even know if I have to describe it for you because you all know what it's like. But it's that unsettled feeling that you get when you face danger or face a serious problem. So when you are faced with anxiety, how do you handle it? Do you follow Peter's well-laid plan for anxiety relief, which is to humble yourself under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all of your anxieties on him, or do you follow your own plan? And we know all of the promises that our God makes us, right? That God's hand is powerful, that the care he gives for us is gracious and powerful, and that he cares for us very deeply. We know all of these promises. And if we know all of these promises, why is it not our first instinct to then, when we are faced with anxiety, 
actually give it over to God, to the God who asks you to give it to him. Well, to understand why we don't do that, why that isn't our first instinct, I want you to, to consider, consider another question that is much along the same vein. When we struggle in this life with anxiety, when problems arise in our life, when worry and concern fills our heart, why don't we go to our fellow human beings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to ask for help? Well, the reason that we don't do that is, is really born out of pride. It's, it happens because we don't like to ask for help, quite simply. And I'm going to single out the men here this morning because we are the kings at not asking for help. And I'm singling myself out in here, too. Uh, and I, I think we do this for a lot of reasons, but I, we've been led, or society has led us to believe that asking for help and, and even sharing a feeling at all it means you're somehow emasculating yourself. And so as men, we put on this face as if we have it all together and, and that we can grin and bear it and we can deal with it all. Now, such as men who, who act like this or who are susceptible to anxiety, women and children are too. Women and, women and children can have just as much anxiety and can also be just as susceptible to not asking for help. When I was a kid, I, I don't know, I think maybe seventh grade, I was bullied a little bit in school. I probably had a lot to do with uh, the frosted tips I had in my hair. Um, thanks, 1999, for telling me that was ever a good idea. But I, was, I think this is a reason why I was getting bullied, because I had this awful hair. But instead of talking to my parents about it or going to an adult to, to help me deal with the anxiety I was facing in school, what did I do? I tried to just deal with it myself. I see Andy laughing in the back. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to deal with it myself because I wanted to be the one to come up with a solution. I wanted to be the one to prove to myself that I could handle all of the anxiety I was facing because of the way I was being treated at school. We don't like to ask for help because we think asking for help when we are struggling with anxiety makes us seem weak. We don't like to ask for help because it makes us seem like we don't have everything together because we put on a face for the rest of the world to see that makes it look like we do have things together. We don't like to ask for help in any way, shape, or form, because it means that there is something, something in our life that we can't take care of. And so rather than asking for help when we are faced with anxiety, we would rather suffer in silence and just grin and bear it, rather than becoming somebody else's burden. I think this is another big aspect. We don't like to ask for help because we don't want to be a burden to somebody else. I see some heads nodding, and I think you know what I'm talking about, because every person has their own set of anxieties. Every person has their own set of struggles that they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And so why should we become what could be conceived as a, as a burden or perceived as a burden to somebody else? Why would we want to do that? We've got our own stuff to deal with, and so do they. But I think perhaps the biggest reason why we don't ask for help um, is fear. When Peter says, cast all of your anxieties on God, that word that he used for cast, it literally means to, to make someone responsible for something. So when, when Peter says to cast your anxieties on God, he's asking you to ask God, please be responsible for these things that are causing me to suffer. And we don't like to, to make anybody responsible for anything in our life. Because I, and I said this in Bible class this morning, humans are control freaks. We don't like to be out of control and to put something else, to make somebody responsible in a good way to help you with the anxieties that you were going through in this life is a very scary thing because it is relinquishing control of a certain aspect of your life and putting it in somebody else's hands and on somebody else's timetable and, and within somebody else's own abilities to help deal with that problem. 
We don't like to do that at all because humans, by their very nature, are not just control freaks, but are prideful. And if this is how we act relationally, in, react with one another when, when we're struggling and we can't ask for help, it's only a small leap for us to then act this way with our God. If we are not willing to ask for help when we are struggling with the anxieties of this life from our own flesh and blood, from brothers and sisters in Christ, from spouses or, or friends or family members, people that we can see with our own two eyes and touch with our own two hands, then certainly my sinful nature and your sinful nature is going to run so far from asking for help for, from somebody that we cannot see. And yet this is exactly what faith and what Peter's anxiety relief plan calls us to do. It calls us, faith calls us to call on the God that we cannot see and to place his life in our hands and trust that he is going to take care of it. Faith calls us to trust that the God that we have, the God who, the God who says, cast all of your anxieties on me, make me responsible for the things that you are struggling with in this life. Faith calls us to see that that God is far more powerful and far wiser than you and I or any human being ever could be. Faith calls us to trust that God will actually take care of this. And honestly, to do that, what do we have to lose? Really? What do we have to lose in giving our anxieties to God? Control? Sure. Pride? Well, we need to lose that. We have absolutely nothing to lose in giving our anxieties to God and absolutely everything to gain, especially when you hear how Peter follows up that phrase. Peter says, cast all of your anxieties on God because he cares for you. God cares for you. In case you missed it, God cares for you. Say it with me so nobody misses it. God cares for you. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. God cares for you. God cares for you and God cares about you and he cares about every aspect of your life and everything that you are going through. God cares about your mental health and your emotional health and your physical health and your spiritual health. God calls you to take everything that you are struggling with in any of those categories for your whole life and to give it over to him because he cares for you so deeply and is so concerned about your well-being and so concerned about your, his relationship with you as a child of God. God wants you to give it all over to him and he promises you that he will lift you up in due time. Again, we know all of these promises, right? We know them all to be true, and yet we can get in the mindset, even in trusting these promises, a mindset that says, I'm not going to bother God with the small stuff. I'll just bring him the big things, right? Like, I'm not going to bother God with my sore back this morning, but when I get really, really sick, that's when I'm going to bother him. I'm not going to bother God when I'm struggling to pay the bills, maybe a little bit when funds are a little bit tight, but I will bother God when or when I lose my job and now I'm really struggling to provide for my family. The problem is with that kind of mindset is it doesn't match what God says about this at all. Listen to how Jesus describes his father in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not reap, they do not store in barns, and yet my heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus' point is that God cares for even the smallest things in his creation. And if he cares for these tiny little birds in his creation, is he not also going to care for the crown jewel of his creation, for you and for me, 
Jesus' other point is both big and small. Everything that you struggle with in this life, everything, everything that causes you anxiety, God cares about and God wants you to give it to him and God wants to take care of it for you. And so Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time, throw all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. This is an integral part to Peter's plan for anxiety relief. But there's more to it than that, though. Right? Listen to what Peter says immediately after that. He says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Peter's point is that there is a greater concern than your physical anxiety that you go through. There's a greater concern that you should be giving over to your God, and it's a spiritual concern. It's, a, it's the concern for the attacks that Satan can throw at you. And Satan is not just some random enemy that uh, is, for, or is against people out there. What does Peter call him? He calls him your enemy. He is your enemy who is prowling around your life, who is, who, who is searching or, and seeking for ways to devour you. And he never stops. He never sleeps. He never quits until he's found his meal. A sinner that has turned his back on God. As Christians, I think there's a tendency to think about Satan a little more ethereally than as an actual real and present enemy in our lives. Um, There are a number of reasons for this, but but there's a great danger in this as well. Because to think of Satan as, as an enemy of other people and not yours puts you in grave danger. We can think that that Satan may cause a little harm in our life, but he's not going to cause a whole lot of harm. We can think that Satan isn't really going to care that much about attacking somebody like me who lives in this little corner of, of the Charlotte area and belongs to this church. Satan's not really going to attack me. We, another reason why I think we think this way more ethereally than uh, as a real and present enemy about Satan is the way that, the way that pop culture has portrayed him. How has pop culture pro- portrayed Satan? It's this cute and harmless little devil that can't really do a whole lot. Or, or even worse than that, there's a, a TV show, I think it's on Fox, called Lucifer. And they portray Satan as a good guy who's just always been misunderstood and isn't really all that bad at all. The problem, though, is Scripture paints a very different picture about who Satan is and what Satan wants from you. God calls him an enemy that we are not to mess around with and we are not to take lightly. He is a fallen angel who has powers that are far greater than any human being has. And though God has him on a leash, he wields great power in this world. He is the God of this age who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He is the, he is the evil atmosphere that pro- pervades this fallen world. He is the power behind the beasts that persecute the, and deceive the believers in God's holy church. And then Peter, our brother in Christ, our brother in faith, calls Satan a lion who is prowling around in your life, seeking to devour you. And do you know what Satan likes to use to attack you? Your anxieties. He likes to get you isolated. And he likes to to whisper into your heart of hearts lies and doubts like this. That those things that you are struggling with, those problems that you are having, those anxieties that you're facing, they're all signs that your God doesn't actually care about you. They're all signs that, in fact, they're punishments from God for, the, for something that you have done. And now look at you. You're all alone. You're all isolated. And nobody is here to help you. But I will. 
I'll help you and I will give you everything that you need. Satan loves to whisper those, those lies to your heart of hearts. And when you're isolated, surrounded by your anxiety, too proud to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and ask for his help, that's when Satan strikes. That's when Satan attacks. That's when Satan devours. And this is why, as part of his anxiety relief plan, Peter tells you and me to be sober and to be alert. Peter calls us to be sober, in other words, to have full control of our bodies and our minds. But then he adds to it that we need to be alert because just being in control of your faculties isn't enough. We need to be watchful. We need to be anticipating. We need to be thinking about what it is that Satan could do to us because Satan is clever and he's sneaky and he will attack. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. This is why he says, be sober and be alert. But to that, he also adds, when Satan attacks, resist him. Standing firm. This is a call to action. A call to action that isn't just about good intentions, but it's about actually doing something. Taking a stand and resisting him is is like standing your ground and preparing for an enemy that is coming towards you. And to prepare for an attack against Satan, you don't take a stand on your own strength and your own abilities. You take a stand on your faith. And when you take a stand on the faith that God has planted in your heart, you really see how easy it is to spot the attacks that Satan is trying to throw at you. And truthfully, the, all of Satan's attacks, they're all the same. From age to age, he may have repackaged them a little bit, but they are all a variation on the very same thing that he deceived Adam and Eve with in that Garden of Eden. Did God really say? And so to resist him, Peter says to stand firm in your faith because you will be able to anticipate and see all of these attacks that are coming. But there's more to it than that because you can't rely on your own strength and your own abilities to take a stand. You rely on God's. And when you take a stand in your faith, you are placing all of your trust in the God who is more powerful than Satan. When you take your taking a stand on your faith means you are placing all of your trust in the God who already defeated Satan. When you're taking a stand on the faith, you are placing all of your trust in the God who already defeated death and did away with sin, which, by the way, are the only two things that Satan would ever have to hold over your head. When you are placing your trust in God, you are trusting, putting all of your trust in the God who literally descended into hell, but not to suffer. You are placing all of your trust in Jesus, the God-made man who descended into hell for a victory march to proclaim his victory over Satan, to tell him, you are finished and my brothers and sisters are set free. This is part of Peter's anxiety relief plan, placing all of your faith, all of your trust and taking a stand in that faith. But when you take a stand on that faith, you're not just trusting in the things that God has done for you in the past. You are also trusting in what God will do for you in the future. Look at what he says after that. He says, the God of all grace, who called you to his glory in Christ, after a little while of suffering, he will strengthen you. He will restore you. He will make you firm. He will make you steadfast. You notice how God, through the Apostle Peter, talks about this? It's not some wish that these things might happen. He talks about this with absolute certainty, that it is the promise that these things will happen, that the God of all grace will restore you. Like a, like a physician mending a broken arm, putting all of the bones back in place and putting a cast on it to protect it, so God will be there to put your life back together when it falls apart, 
and to refresh and restore your soul with the good news about what Jesus has done for you. The God of all grace, he will make you strong. Like a physician or a, a physical therapist who is working with someone who was injured to strengthen their muscles so that they can use them, God, he will make you strong. He will strengthen your spiritual muscles day by day through healthy doses of his word. The God of all grace will make you firm. Like a carpenter replacing rotting deck boards on a deck with new strong boards, God will, God will make you strong and shore up your defenses so that you can withstand the attacks of Satan. He will fill in all of the gaps and replace them with new, stronger wood so you can withstand Satan's temptations. The God of all grace will make you firm. Like a construction worker pouring a, a foundation for a house, God will plant in your heart and strengthen an unmovable foundation of your faith so that whatever Satan and the world throw at you, you can resist it. These are all promises that God, say, God says will happen. This is all part of Peter's anxiety relief plan. But you have to understand that, that none of these promises are the promise that as soon as you hear them, all of your anxiety, all of your suffering, all of your struggle in this world will come to an end. It's not the case. But these promises are the promise of something better coming on the other side of all of the struggles that you have in this life. Right? God makes you these beautiful, beautiful promises. And maybe tomorrow he will make good on those promises for you. Maybe for some of us it will happen when God brings us to heaven and confirms us in the holiness that he's already given us, the holiness that he has won through his son. The truth is we don't know when these promises will be fulfilled, but God gives us the blessing and the benefit of knowing that they will happen, that the God who cares for you will restore you, and he will strengthen you, and he will make you firm and steadfast. And to that God, to that God who cares for you, to that God who loves you, to that God who makes you all of those promises, to him, be power and glory forever and ever. Amen.